Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write about all things fitness and outdoors related, and I recently just raced a bike for the first time in years and years and years. Has it been years? I mean, you've raced Xterra. Yes, I've raced triathlon, but there's a difference between racing triathlon and starting a road race. I haven't done road racing, as my dad pointed out, for at least seven years. Really? Yes, and since he doesn't listen to this podcast, I can say it took him a solid 15 minutes on the phone debating with himself when the last time I raced road was. I don't know if the podcast would have helped. He's very invested. In the podcast? No, in my my racing bikes. Very good. Anyway. I'm Peter Glassford, and I'm Molly's co-host. Here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, I am a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach. Also raced bikes this weekend. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it that, but I actually got points, and technically should have got money, but uh, my teammate Soren did not pick up my money, (coughs) so she owes me 65 Canadian dollars. Mm. So that'll buy us nothing in the U.S., they're going to mail it to me, but I mean, our postage is so expensive, it's yeah. really going to be a break-even You're situation. You're going to owe that money by the end. Anyway, we did not race at the same race this weekend. I was down in Vermont at Killington for the Killington stage race. And there was a few listeners down there, I hear. I they, was going to say. They heard the the race nerves We actually episode. upset. Yeah, people listening, I apologize again yeah, for that. Yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of quick fix uh, no. solutions, so if you were on the way to the race, I don't think any of the... The sleeping lots or training for those critical moments might might not help. Yeah, I heard from a couple of you that you had to turn it off midway through because you couldn't handle hearing all of the race day nerve stuff that close to race day. Uh, So apologies, and uh, I hope your races went really well. It was cool talking to so many people. I've, I've realized that I think now more Canadians know me than Americans from New England, which is kind of... A little weird for me, I'm not going to lie. Why, were all the people Canadian? No, no. There were some American listeners, oh, too. But there were a lot of... Ontar- Ontario really represented at Killington, so it was cool seeing a lot of people. Yeah, it's a big race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I raced a bike. It went pretty well. I'm not going to say it went amazingly, but I didn't embarrass myself. I didn't embarrass my lovely Bike Red Share Coffee team. And uh, Shred Girls is one of the sponsors for our team. Shocking, I know. Um, and we have the logo right on the back of the skin suit, um, and on the back of the bib short. So every time I was pedaling away, I'd, even on like the hardest climbs, if I had one of my teammates in front of me, I could look and see the Shred Girls logo just right there. And it made me smile every time, no matter how steep the hill was. And they were steep. Have no. I mentioned this? Have I mentioned they were no, steep? Well, I assume that's how you race bikes. It's, you go up hills. Um... Is there any news on the Shred Girls front? Uh, not quite yet, but we should have a release date pretty soon. But in the meantime, the website is chugging along. If you want to get a bunch of tips and tricks for, from some rad real-life Shred Girls on BMX, mountain bike, road, cross, gravel, pretty much everything under the sun. And that's shred-girls.com. Yep. And Shred Girls is a, a book that is coming out in 2019. Yes, book series. Book uh, one is coming out in 2019. With new some new animations, there's some animations in it. Illustrations. Illustrations. We're gonna call them. They move maybe if, if you Pretty move the book. Pretty sweet. Yeah. They're holograms. Yeah. Um, but it's for your young ladies. It's sort of the target, but it could be for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but young adult fiction, I guess, would be the category. I think Babysitter's Club, but with bikes instead of babysitting. Yeah, so you can read about it more on the site. Yeah. Um, what else is going on? we got bike skill sessions. We're uh, building here towards the, the summer of some clinics and lots of one-on-ones and stuff, which is, I think I enjoy one-on-ones. You get to know people and sort of progress them more. This morning I was out with a young lady who's sort of aspiring towards elite racing, but she's sort of in the expert category. And so we went from no bunny hops to not quite a bunny hop, but like hopping pretty big logs, right? Which is really, the external goal is really to hop over things. So um, the rest will come with speed and practice. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But this episode and this weekend are not about bike racing. Well, given that our podcast is not supposed to be all about bike racing. That's probably a good thing. So today's episode is actually with our good friend Eric Batty and talking all about Hiking, camping, setting fastest known times. Yeah, really our focus was on camping, right? Like that's, I think this year I I say as much to him in the episode, you know, last year I was all about swimming as sort of that keystone movement or or sort of foundational movement that lets you do a lot of cool stuff. You can do surfing, you can do, you know, whatever you want to do, go down rivers or, you know, and just feel confident. You don't have to be a great swimmer to to surf, but if you're very confident in the water, then I'm I'm sure it's more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this camping, like not car camping, but like real camping in the wilderness, I feel like really enables people such as Eric to do some really cool things. He crossed Algonquin, which is a big provincial park um, here in the winter. So they crossed it because it was frozen. There's lots of lakes and stuff, right? So they, they were on skis, snowshoes, and I guess on foot would have been the third one as well um so they did that just in the dead of winter super cold camping outside in the winter which is i I still can't see myself doing that but good on them i can't see us doing that either but yeah eric's very accomplished athlete uh, certainly a consummate athlete he will basically do whatever you want to do but he's a great photographer we'll link to his instagram yeah it's at eric batty um and ericbatty.com as well we'll get you to his photos and all that links too um but yeah really good photographer he raced bikes with me that's sort of how we grew up together and and raced together on the same team for a lot uh but then he went on and he did the 24-hour world championships of ocr just sort of not off the couch he trained quite hard for it but you know working a job and then also sort of just coming into that sport Uh, if you're curious about ocr you should actually go back to gosh one of our earliest episodes and Lindsay. yeah with world champion ryan atkins who uh was on or was on the team with eric and then his wife Lindsay. yeah so they did the ocr championships trying to set the 100 miles which is sort of a long story Um, i don't know if ryan talks about that in it so they they basically did it as far as their side of the story goes and uh but apparently it was actually supposed to be like 100 it wasn't it was whether it was laps or the the distance they were going for and there's some sort of controversy and they didn't get the big payout that particular year uh but they did win which was good um all that to say eric is very much the consummate athlete mm-hmm. and today he is basically going to take us through sort of the the key things you need to know if you're going to go on sort of a camping trip or you know bike packing or anything that's going to involve sort of being out in the wilderness a little longer than you know a day or, yeah. or and a little further away from your home in your car right and so a lot of those comforts of home mm-hmm. and hopefully in little over 24 hours we will actually get to put some of this to the test well that's it we're going to listen to this this is not what i'm suggesting you do but then we're going to go out into the wilderness and try and day hike uh the clarney trail so we'll see how day hike (laughs) so that might be the topic of next week's podcast is how that all went yeah if you don't hear from us uh send help you know where we are (laughs) 
So everyone knows now. Uh, that said, it's it, the weather forecast is looking a little spotty, and as we are new campers, we are gonna elect to be smarter rather than well. Tougher. I think I think we'll do some sort of camping. Yes. Um, whether it's local or just up there for a day or something like that, but yeah, hopefully we'll have something to report. We might not do a whole podcast if we don't actually do the trail though, because part of the thing is to actually finish this loop trail, uh, which we'll tell you about more hopefully next week. All right, let's get into this because we've got some packing to do. You know, what would you do as far as just basic gear and stuff? Like if you're going to go, you know, for two or, or even three okay. days into the backcountry, you know. Okay. Cool. So are you starting now or are you going to give me like an end oh, no. rolling? Or... <laughs> no, I, I'm definitely like we're, we're going to start right now, so. I mean, I can welcome you okay. to the podcast, okay. Eric Batty, Adventure Supreme. Um, would you like? <laughs> would you like to provide the people with your your fastest known times or, or any other sort of polymers? No, I'm good with that. Okay, well, I'll look those up and I'll let them know and I'll let them know about your your photog uh, websites and and that sort of good <laughs> stuff. But needless to say, you cool. have you have done a lot of cool stuff, ranging from um, I guess the the 24 hour sort of. Uh, what do we call this? This uh, obstacle course racing. Uh, you've obviously raced a yeah, bike really cool. well. You've run around the Killarney Trail with me, and then I, again a few times. So, and then I guess just recently you did this backcountry or, or across Algonquin. You cross Algonquin in the winter time. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, me and two other people, Ryan Atkins and Buck Miller, and we mostly skied and snowshoed, snowshoed part of it, but mostly on skis about 165 kilometers diagonally across Algonquin Park in February of 2018. And we did it over the course of 11 days. And it was one of the coolest and uh, most fun experiences I've had in the wilderness. So, yeah, it was, su- it was super cool. It was neat to be out in Algonquin, which is, you know, Canada's oldest provincial park, which turns 125 years old this year. Um, and to be out there in winter where we had the place literally to ourselves was was super surreal and you know it's only you know we're only a few hours from toronto right which is one of the well it's the biggest city in canada and we're in one of the largest spaces of wilderness in in southern canada right so it was it was really neat to be that close to the city yet super super remote so it was fun and it seems to me you know you've you've improved your skills over time and accumulated new ones, you know, rock climbing or whatever. Um, but it seems to me like, you know, camping, if we can just sort of group camping as its own skill, seems to be like, it's sort of like an entry point, right? Like once you can camp and take care of yourself in the wilderness, you know, it opens up, you know, you can go in the winter and snowshoe across Algonquin or you could, you know, do a, a lot of these things that, you know, are sort of inaccessible if you don't understand that. Yep. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's definitely like basic skills that, any outdoor adventurer or explorer or backpack or whatever, there's, there's a basic skill set that everybody should have. And that, you know, it, it's, it's always, you know, it's like to start low and slow or, you know, start close to home and then you, you build on that. Right. So you want to lay a good foundation of with a skill set and then build upon that. Right. Right. Um, so we've, we've, so, we've camped in our van a lot. So how, how are we doing as far as, as now going into the wilderness? Yeah, well, car car camping's a start, right? <laughs> it, it, it's not the same, 
but when you have to carry everything on your back to be self-sufficient, you know, you're balancing what to bring versus carrying too much, right? So over time, you know, you can figure out exactly the gear that works, what you need, and then what you don't, right? right. So once, once you start building on your skill set, then you can start paring your kit down and you can start lightening everything up. And you can start doing more with less, right? So you're carrying less gear. The less you carry, the farther you can go, right? But just know that you got to have that skill set to get out of get out of a jam or get out of you know a situation should that arise, right? So you don't want to jump in. You don't want to be somebody you know that's never been in the wilderness before, never camped, and then go do a hundred kilometer backpacking trail with a fifteen pound pack, right? That's not it's not something I would advise. Right. right, right. So now, when you know we, we are we're going and we're, we are hiking, so so we have quite big packs, and I'm ready to carry something. Um, yep. Um, so I I guess what do you think as far as um, you know when you're you're thinking about a two or three day th- trip, like what's what's in a backpack? Like when you're talking about lightweight or things that you might not bring or, or want to bring, like. Can you maybe take through sort of the main things? I mean, obviously there's going to be sure. some variants, but like, what are the, the critical things that you're going to put? Like, what what is going to make 30 pounds of a pack? Yeah, so so the the, the main the main gear that you're going to need to take is one, you need uh, a shelter system, and most people start with uh, your classic tent, right? And there's there's so many good tents and shelters and and uh, shelter systems out there um, that you know that's you, you could talk about that for hours on it on itself. Um, so, but you need a, you know, you need a good, reliable shelter system, something that if you're in the summertime, that can withstand, you know, heavy rain, downpour, higher winds, you know, summer thunderstorms, that kind of thing. Um, you know, then you need your sleep system, right? So you need, you know, if you're, if you're going to be in the summertime, you know, often people uh, take too warm of a sleep bag, right? And a, a really warm sleep bag or a sleep bag that's good to minus nine degrees Celsius you don't necessarily need when the nighttime temperatures are only going down to like 12 or 15 degrees Celsius. Right. So that can take a few pounds right there is just take an appropriate sleep bag to the lowest temperature that you're going to be expecting. Right. So sleep system and a sleep mat. And I have a bunch of different mats that I, that I use. And most of the time for the summer, I just, I just use the the closed cell foam mats, like the, the thermorest knee rest, just cause they're, they're light, they're durable. You know, you don't have to worry about patch kits or inflating them, and they're not as comfortable as an as an inflatable mat, but they're pretty comfortable. And you know, for weight, for the weight sake and and the price, they're they're really hard to beat. Um, and then obviously your backpack, right? And you know, oftentimes people go with you know the the biggest backpack. You know, you go to the gear store and people are trying to sell you on ninety and a hundred liter backpacks and in reality, if you're only going out for a few days in the wilderness, you know, a 50-liter pack will probably suffice, right? Um, so you have your backpack, and then um, so you have your, well, your backpack, your sleep system, your tent. That's kind of your, your main big pieces of gear, and that's where if you start lightening your kit up, those are the ones that you can really, really gain uh, or save uh, weight, right? When you start getting lighter tents, lighter sleep bags, and lighter backpacks, right? Like I think I have, I have one backpack. It's a 50 liter pack, and I think it weighs like a pound and a half, right? But it's only meant to carry a lighter load in that 15 to 25 pounds, right? 
if I'm out in the mountains for a week and I have to carry climbing gear and and crevasse rescue gear and, and ice anchors and stuff, then I'm definitely going to be carrying uh, everything in a bigger, heavier-duty bag, right? So it's important to have the, the proper gear for what you're going to be doing, right? So if you're just going to be backpacking in Ontario, you don't need a big mountaineering backpack, right? Um, and then the next, the next kind of the main thing uh, for me would be uh, your water purification system, and that could be Aquatab, so that could be a, you know a water pump or whatever you choose. And most of the time, I usually use the Aquatabs. Um, I find I have been finding when you know I'm doing long runs or I'm really try to find something else that works a little bit better, and I have the. Um, the UV light stick and you know I have I've tried most things with that um, the next next you know big one would be clothes right and um, generally I have a trail uh, trail set of clothes which in the summertime would be a pair of shorts just a shirt a pair of socks and my my trail running shoes um, and then I have a set of camp clothes and generally that's a pair of pants maybe you know maybe if it's spring or fall a pair of long underwear a fleece be a light very light down jacket and a rain shell and that's that's generally what i'll take for clothes and i'll only usually have two pairs of socks if i'm only out there for you know two three four days i'll generally just have my my trail socks and then my my uh, camp socks and then if one pair should get wet i'll just dry them out on the outside of my pack whenever whenever i can right um and then the next next biggest thing for me, where a lot of weight can be saved is, and I see it over, it kind of overkill um, here and there is, is footwear. And oftentimes, you know, if you're not only carrying 25 pounds in your back, you know, you don't need a massive hiking boot with, you know, a three-quarter shank sole. Like, you just, you, yeah, you just don't need that, right? And they weigh, like, five pounds, right? And, like, for 99% of my backpacking, I use my trail runner. Right. I'm, you know, I just, I find them, they're light, they're agile, they have good traction, they, they dry really well, um, and they're more affordable. Right. And it's one of the things where, you know, it's, it's not a static load, like something on your back that's, that's not moving a lot. On your feet, you know, if your boots are five pounds, my trail running shoes are only a pound and a half or a pound, you know, that's a three and a half, four pound difference, and you're picking that up you know, every step, right? So if you're picking up, you know, three or four pounds, every step will be half for, for each step, right? So um, that that adds up, right? That's a lot of extra weight that you're picking up and energy you're just burning that, you know, you would save if you're just wearing a pair of trail runners. Yeah, and that's right? what I was sort of so, thinking for this too, since we're on the, the shorter end, those maybe going more like the, the sort of Solomon trail runner. Yep, and that's 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 probably what I would do, right? They're they're my tried, tested, and true. Um, like for most backpacking, I use something like a, a Solomon Speed Cross or something similar. Like I have a few other pairs that I use too, but something something like that that has pretty good support. Uh, but it's still it's lightweight, dries quick, good traction, and um, that's yeah, that's kind of my go-to for that. All right. Um, what about socks? Any? I know that's sort of the critical thing is the blisters and the you know getting wet feet and stuff. Any advice around socks? Um, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm not super picky with socks. I, I, I could I could have the the nicest fanciest socks out there, 
and I could get a blister and I could have the junkiest, crappiest, oldest pair of socks in my drawer and I won't get a blister from them. So I think socks, are, you know, in the winter or when it's, you know, when it's really cold out, you know, some, maybe a merino wool or a merino wool blend. Um, but generally for me, m- my feet are generally fairly tough and I don't usually have to worry about blisters. So I usually like to go with a thinner sock, like a, a like I said, like a light merino blend. Um, something that you know is going to dry fairly quick. Um, it's just going to be a bit softer on the feet, right? And maybe just um, having having options or like replacements, right? If you do get wet feet or something's not working. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And if we're, you know, if it's really really hot out, like if it's like crazy warm summer day or something like that, you're out in the sun, you know, you're walking on the warm rock, and your feet are going to get hot. Then I might put some like uh, some trail toes. Uh, like foot butter or something like that, or anti-chafing cream uh, on my feet. And I find that that really helps a lot. I just cut down on any friction. And if you can cut down on the friction, then you're going to minimize the blisters substantially, right? Makes sense. But, yeah, and the, the big the big thing with the feet is, is try to keep them clean, right? And, you know, if you have lakes everywhere, if you have streams, you know, if your feet, your feet start getting dirty and dusty, right, that all those little particles of sand and, and, and little bits of dirt and stuff, those they're almost like sandpaper right so they get in your socks and they actually start to to to, to create more friction right and you get more friction you get more heat you get blisters right so if you can find a stream or something like that to stop and have a break and wash your feet you know it's and dust your socks out it'll, it'll make a huge difference in the long run all right and then while we're stopped at that stream you know we're we're getting water is a stream like a running stream sort of the best spot to to grab water if we're going to filter or if we're going to run the the tabs or are you like more looking for like big lakes or yeah it's it you know in Clarny in particular you got to be careful with the running streams because you know if you're up on the mountain ranges where the where, where the stream's coming from right so if it's just coming from a beaver pond on, up on top of the hill you know that's great it's moving water but it's just moving water from a beaver pond, right? So, you know, I, in Killarney, you know, I would definitely, definitely treat, like, everything. I would not not question or guess with any water in Killarney. And, the well, the time that you and I ran it, Peter, um, probably almost 10 years ago now, like, I we I got charity on really, really, really bad because, well, I didn't. I didn't let the because you're the weaker. Because you're the weaker of the two of us. You got that, I think. It's... Because I am the weaker of the two. Well, I was. I was not as patient. I was very thirsty. Very, very thirsty. And you weren't as thirsty. <laughs> and I did. I, I figured 15 minutes was good enough for the tabs, and and it proved me wrong. And I ended up. I ended up. Two weeks later, the GRD hit me. Well, 10 days later, the GRD hit me. Now I was in bed for three weeks, lost like 20 or 25 pounds, and it was it was awful. So now, like... Never do that again. Yeah. So you think the tabs are really, like, as long as you have clean-looking water, like, would you... You wouldn't do, like, physical filter and, like, a tab or something like that? You could, yeah. If the water's super sketchy, yeah, double it up, right? If you're, if you're like, filling up at some little mud beaver pond and you can see beavers swimming around in it, double it up. <laughs> like, you could run a... That's a good indicator. Run, run a filter... Yeah. Yeah, run a filter through it, or run it through a filter, and then put, put a tab or two in, depending on what the specifications for the whatever the manufacturer recommends. Okay, let's move on to food. Um, a, cool. you know, we, we want to be pretty light. I'm not even sure we necessarily want to bring a stove. Like we've both sort of come to terms that it's not going to be fancy. But do you have any, you know, easy sort of maybe even non-cook sort of dinners for the first night? You know, maybe breakfast or something like that, or 
Do you think you'd be better just to run it super light, you know, cliff bars and powder or something? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of a light stove. Um, and there, there's lots of good options out there. Like I, you know, I like I like a warm breakfast and a warm dinner. Um, dinner, dinner especially. Like breakfast, I can get by with some bars or something or some trail mix, um, you know, or just some snack food. But dinner, I like, personally, I like the dinner in a bag. Um, you know, I think since, since I had my first dinner in a bag like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it's improved so much. And they're actually like really good meals now. And, you know, there's, there's no mess. All you do is boil your water and, you know, your pocket rocket or your jet boiler or whatever you're using. You add it to this, you know, this bag and you let it sit for 15 minutes, stir it up. And you just, with your, you know, your long spoon, you just eat it out of the bag. Right. And there's no mess, very little waste. It's very clean. It's fast. Um, and it's somewhat nutritious, right? Like they actually have like protein and fat and, and there's like actual ingredients in, in, uh, in the food. Um, so that's, that's what normally like 98% of the time, that's what I do for dinner, um, is dinner in a bag. And for me, there's like backcountry pants. It's got a lot of good options and you got to find whatever, you know, suits you and your taste. Um, but I like, like the lasagna. I like this one of my favorites lasagna. Uh, the pad thai is really good. And, um, I guess there's the, the Alpenair, um, which is another company. Their mac and cheese is like probably my all time favorite. It's just, it's unbelievable. And then for, so that's for dinner. For breakfast, um, generally I'll just do oatmeal. So I'll just either have a big bag of oatmeal with some, you know, some brown sugar and some nuts and stuff in it that I just add water. And then, um, I'll usually just do that for breakfast. And then, uh, but throughout the day, it's just snack on the go. So I'll just be eating bars and some mix and maybe some beef jerky or, you know, some crushed up Pringles or something. So. Gotcha. Uh, it seems like a lot of people don't, you know, I've talked to a couple others who have done it. It seems like not a lot of people are actually making fire. Is that like just because it's so difficult with finding enough wood and, and getting the fire actually going? Like why the, the stove versus, you know, making a fire? Well, <clears throat> yeah, the first, <clears throat> sorry, the first thing you want to do is see, see if there's any fire rules in place, right? So I know like, or if there's any fire bans, if there's a fire ban, then it's just, no fire and it's not worth risking that um but for the most part if there's no fire ban in place it's mostly convenience right you know if you're if you're going to do a 35 or 40k day on the trail you know you're going to be getting to camp pretty close to dark right and by the time you set up your shelter put your sleeping bag out you know make your dinner really the last thing on your mind is going to be is going to be fire Right. And especially for me, like I'm into, you know, I'm into photography. So, you know, I get to camp, uh, you know, I get things set up and then I'm going to go be looking for the nice sunset or the nice lighting. Right. So I'm not, fire is kind of like the last thing on my mind. Um, if it's been raining or, you know, it's shoulder season in the fall or something like that and you need to dry some gear out or you're cold, then that's a, that's a different thing. But in the summertime, I, I don't know if I've ever actually just made a fire backpacking. Right. Unless I've had to, unless there's been a reason. And then is your stove, like it just has like a uh, sort of spark built into it or are you just using like set of matches to just sort of light that flame off the the tank or? Yep. So the, the, the stove I mostly use is, is my jet boil and it's like got a one liter titanium pot that goes on the top of it. And it's, it's super efficient. Like at like or close to sea level here in Ontario, it boils a liter of water in like three minutes or three and a half minutes or something. Like it's crazy fast. 
Um, and it all packs into itself. Like it's got, you know, the little, um, the little canister that actually put goes inside of it. The stove goes inside the pot. Like it packs up super small and it has a built-in flint, right? Um, the built-in flint's good. Don't rely on it because if that flint gets wet, then it, it's not going to spark. Right. So you always want to have a backup and whether that's just another, like a, like a light my fire, like flint stick, um, or a match or a lighter or something else. You got to have, you know, you got to have a, something else in place to light that stove. Right. Awesome. And then to hang food and toothpaste and that sort of stuff, are you using sort of just a normal waterproof bag or is there anything special beyond, you know, hoisting a, a rope up into the, the tree or like, you know, any advice on that sort of safety protocol? Yeah, yeah, definitely hang your food. Um, and so I, I use just a just a sill nylon sill nylon stuff sack. Um, it's a heavier duty one that that takes the weight of, of all the food and you know any anything that a, you know a bear might be attracted to. Um, and there's, there's a couple of different ways you can hang your food. Um, it's you know probably the simplest is just to tie the you know a, a light rope like a pair like a paracord or a you know, three or four mil line to a rock, throw it up and over the, uh, the a branch that's suitable. Like, you know, let's say 15, 20 feet high and, you know, 10 feet out from the trunk of the tree and then just hoist, hoist the food up and then just tie it off to the tree. And that's, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, there's, there's three or four other different ways you can do it. Um, and they're probably too hard to explain over headphones. It, if, you, if you google if you, if you just go on google and just just google bear hanging options there's there's a number of different ways you can do it but you the number one thing is you, you just want to have it high enough off the ground that a bear can't get to it and far enough out the tree that a bear can't get to it but you also want to make sure you don't have it too close to the limb that you're anchoring it off of just because one bears can reach down from the limb and grab it um two i've also had one time years ago when i was in algonquin um I, I had it about two feet below the limb and a raccoon went down the rope and onto the bag and then just ripped the hole inside the bag and just like demoed our whole week's worth of food. Um, except for like only part of it. Like he literally got in the side of it and contaminated like everything. So we, we learned from that. We need more rope, more distance from the branch to the food. Okay. I gotcha. So like more like hanging, like, hanging it really low versus giving them some, yeah so it's less stable and then it's going to sort of hopefully flip whatever's crawling down it, it off it, exactly like it was only a foot and a half or two feet below the limb okay. and so he the, the raccoon just went down the rope right. right and we were using a heavier rope then because we were that was actually on a canoe trip so we were using a heavier line but backpacking i actually the the rope i use is a is actually a 1.8 millimeter dyneema line and it's what um, it's what we use, like I'm an arborist, so it's what we use for throw line. So it's, it's crazy strong and it's super, super thin. Like it's less than two, two millimeters thick and there's no way raccoons going down that road. Yeah. It sounds like there's almost no like fishing line almost like two millimeters. Kind of. Small. Yeah. That's small. It's pretty thin. Yeah. It's pretty thin. And that's, that's, that's probably the best stuff you could get. Like you can get that at any arborist supply store. Like I don't think, I don't think any major outdoor stores carry that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's something I've taken from from my uh, you know my arborist industry, ind- industry or you know arboriculture and brought it into into backcountry. Oh. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, bugs are my other question. We're getting apparently we're in the height of bug season or getting into it. Um, <laughs> any like so? I mean, we'll we'll be rational around weather, and then I think also bugs. Like if we get started and it's crappy, then you know we'll we'll not go as deep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to turn around. But as far as you know, preparing for that, would you do bug hats, bug shirts? Like, what what are our options here if if we're trying to be like over prepared yeah. for, for that? Yeah, bugs bugs love me. Both black flies and mosquitoes, they love me. Um, and I do if it's if it's in the height of bug season, I'll carry like a super light, um, like a no see on um, mesh hat or cover at least for my head. And then that way I can keep them out of my hair and my ears and whatnot. And then for the rest of my body while you're hiking, you know, it's, it's not usually too bad because Clarney's, you know, there's lots of open ridges and stuff and it's, you know, there's usually a breeze coming off Georgian Bay. So, you know, when, when you're moving, they, they're not going to be too bad. Uh, when you're stopped in camp, they're going to be horrific and both the, both the black flies. And then once the sun starts going down, the mosquitoes will come out and they will eat you alive and carry you away right. but it, it all it all depends right if it's you know if it's after black fly season then they shouldn't be too bad right but um if it's if there's lots of water around and it's early in the season then the yeah, the black black both black flies and mosquitoes won't be very good okay. right well, what, what, and, and they'll for me like they, they test my patience right? <laughs> you know well, you have lots of it so it's good yeah (laughs) um would you do anything as far as like chemicals deet and stuff you got any opinions on that um yeah that the like the off of the the deet stuff that's it's a love-hate relationship because it's you're putting chemicals on your body which is not a good thing um but at the same time it does work right so it's you know it keeps them what i found is it keeps them from biting you um, well, or they still will just where you, where you haven't sprayed it. Um, but they're still going to, they're still going to aggravate you and kind of tick you off because they're, they're always flying around you and like bumping into you and flying into your face and your arms and your neck. And they're still going to be pestering you. They're just not going to be landing and biting. Right. Gotcha. So, um, it, but it still, it still works. Like if it's, if I'm going there in prime bug season, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be carrying some chemical as well. I think even just as a, you know, plant C type thing, right? Um, probably yeah. makes sense. Like I, I've don't know the last time I've ever even used it. Like it'd be a long, long time ago. Um, but you know, at a certain point you get desperate, I get, um, and that's, and that's it. That's it. Right. If you start out and the bugs are not that bad, you know, but halfway through the trip, you could, you know, the weather could change or something happens or mosquitoes come out or, you know, and it, it could turn south pretty quick. Right. Um, but I think it's, I, you know, I think it's one of those things. It's like, you know, darned if you do, darned if you don't, right? Because you, you know, you start googling, you just get on the internet and Google is deet good for you, or what happens when you put deet, you know, dip nylon in deet or polyester or any, you know, fabrics in deet, and it just completely, you know, dissolves it, you know. So just know that if you're going to use it, that's you know that's what that stuff does right when you're putting it on your skin fair enough fair enough well i'll leave that to molly she's the one that uses the chemicals so i'll assume that she can (laughs) use it if she wants to um okay is there anything that i haven't asked about you know i've sort of i think i've covered shelter water food um what are my other survival needs i think those are 
Am I forgetting a major survival need? I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, you, you, well, you want to have a little first aid kit. Oh, right? that's what and I was I'm, missing. Perfect, when it goes wrong. Yeah. So what would you bring? Yeah, like, I, it, I'm always triangular bandage is the first aid kit you need. Uh, would you add anything to my triangular bandage? Um, I probably, I don't carry a triangular bandage. What? I, I, like, you can always make... Yeah, you can always make a shirt work, or you can grab like a pair of pants, or right. you can always improvise with that. Um, that's something I just I think you have redundancies already in your pack. Um, but for me, the big the big one is some you know some way to clean yourself. So um, whether it's like a like those antiseptic towelettes, like if you get a cut or a scrape or something like that, definitely something to to clean them clean them out. Um, and you know, I usually just carry some couple gauzes, couple band-aids, um, couple safety pins for picking up slivers or something, or a safety pin. Um, and then I'll also carry a little bit of crazy glue, like one of those mini tubes of crazy glue. So if you do get some blisters, um, crazy glue works really well for, uh, put, keeping that skin on around the blister, right? Cause I've had like putting, you know, the mole skin and duct tape and stuff like that. It's great theory, but. As soon as you get sweaty, it just wears off. So crazy glue works really well for that. Um, and I'll usually carry some, you know, some ibuprofen, some Advil, and then um, some Imodium, just a couple tabs of Imodium and gravel and like just in a little Ziploc bag, just in case something happens. It's, you know, it's a couple, couple pills just to, you know, to get you out. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, what is your the? You may as well just say your business name too, so that we have that on on the air here. Uh, which business name? My your arborist. arborist. Like if people are in the Greater Brooklyn uh, GTA, you're around Toronto, and you need a tree taken down, Eric can come to your house and he can tell you stories and adventures. But then he can also take care of the, yeah. the trees the correct way. The, the correct way, yeah. And, and pruning and maintenance is a large part of what we do. Um, and so our my my company name is uh, Brooklyn Tree Care, and that's B R O O K L I N, and then Tree Care. And Perfect. we're we're a full se- full service tree care company. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you very much. Hopefully, we can do an adventure here soon. Sounds good. All right. Have Later, fun buddy. Bye. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com/capod. That's C-A-P-O-D for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.